Hello and good day, marvelous podcast family. I hope that wherever you are in the world, that you are healthy, that you are happy, that you are making the most out of these trying times on the planet. I am sending you all of my love, good wishes, and support through the airwaves. I am doing as many podcasts as I can to find empowering perspectives on this situation. If you want to support the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Please share on Facebook, on Instagram, wherever. You can support on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair, you can join the academy and get access to the absolutely phenomenal Soul Compass course that will teach you how to use your natural GPS system to create a life of of meaning, purpose, and extraordinary living by your own definitions. And you can get that at bit.ly forward slash mindbodyspirit21. And during this time, I'm doing a pay as you want. So just DM me, uh, send me an email anywhere, matt at zenathlete.com. Let me know what you can pay. Happy to put you through that course and get you access to all the amazing exclusive content and training over there. And for those of you guys who are interested in coaching, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. Some people want to use this time to do courses and level up, and I am happy to support you. So I hope that you're doing well. Let's get into this amazing episode, but first, let's come to a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose, filling every cell, every muscle and fiber of your being with peace, joy, empowerment, strength, inner knowing, and ready to take on this amazing episode. Hello and welcome to the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a New York Times best-selling author, an award-winning journalist, and the executive director of the Flow Research Collective. He is one of the world's leading experts on human performance. He's the author of 11 books, including The Future is Faster Than You Think, Stealing Fire, Bold, Abundance, and the rise of Superman. His work has been nominated for two Pulitzer Prizes, been translated into over 40 languages, and appeared in over 100 publications, including the New York Times, Atlantic Monthly, Time, Wired, and Forbes. He is also the co-founder of the Rancho de Chihuahua Dog Sanctuary. Welcome to the show, Stephen Kotler. Hey, Matt. Good to be with you. Yeah, man, it's really great to be with you. Um, We had a brief uh, chat before we started. There's so many avenues we can go down. I've been following your work for a while. But uh, for those who may not know who you are, do you want to give a very brief background on your journey to how you got to where you are today and all the incredible things you're doing at the cutting edge of human performance um, with the Flow Research Collective and just so many other things you're up to? Um, Perfect. So I'm really a guy who spent his entire life <clears throat> or most of his life, uh, examining those moments in time when the impossible became possible. And, it, you know, in a sense, history is littered with them. Technological breakthroughs, scientific breakthroughs, the four-minute mile, et cetera, et cetera. And I was obsessed with this question of what does it take to achieve the impossible? And so that's essentially what I've done over the past 30 years. And I've primarily uh, tried to use the lens of, of neurobiology and, and cognitive high performance to kind of break this down but uh you know i th- whenever you see the impossible come possible you see people extending human capability so there's a cognitive performance side and you all usually see people kind of leveraging some kind of new disruptive technology so where they intersect you tend to see the impossible become possible and i've kind of just examined this in sports and science and culture and technology and business etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's that's kind of the bulk of the work i've done yeah, and you've done an amazing job um, just diving into some of the courses you put out there. It's so deep, and you're really bringing together some incredible people in the fields of neuroscience and you know leaders and like the Navy SEALs and things like that. And the one thing I want to touch on right away, because I know it's relevant, and I think that um, the way that you shared it with me before we, we jumped on is a way that I haven't heard it. We're obviously dealing with something on the planet that we've um, never seen before. And right away, you started to do some panels and discussions to help people, which I think is really amazing. So can you give us your thousand foot overview on, on what you see happening here? And you phrased it as the three pandemics. And I think that um, yeah. there's a positive one there. I think that's important. So 
the three pandemics, and this is an article that I just just wrote. Um, I think the first pandemic is is COVID nineteen, and you know it is as you know serious as you know it's made out to be. And the second pandemic, which may be worse than the first pandemic, is a pandemic of fear. And I think we've all sort of been living through that for a while. Um, and finally, I think what I'm seeing emerge on the cultural front, on the technological front, is, is a third pandemic. It's sort of an antidote to the first two, and it's a pandemic of cooperation. And some of this is, is familiar to all of us, right? That doesn't matter where you are in the world right now, people are staying at home. They're doing without to protect the weak, the sick, the elderly. That alone is amazing. Every neighborhood in the world, and I've talked to people all over the world and in every language you could imagine, there are signs going up saying, need anything, need food, need medicines, we're here to help, we're your neighbors. That's amazing. On the science and technology front, it's, it's mind blowing. One way I heard it described, Harvard geneticist David Sinclair said that he thinks this is the first time in the million year history of our species that we've all been united against a common enemy. And right now, I heard an estimate that, that sounds a little low to me, but somebody estimated that 100 to 200 million doctors, nurses, health care practitioners, scientists, et cetera, are all working specifically on this problem. And there's a couple things just worth pointing out that we're, we're seeing out of this. For example, three weeks ago, there were zero vaccines or cures for COVID-19 anywhere. Today, there are 41 that are already in clinical trials. That Nothing like that has ever happened before. Scientists are the most cutthroat people you've ever met in your life. It's a science is the, like a, it's a blood sport. I always say, if you think like MMA is competitive, you think football is competitive, <laughs> go to a science conference. Then you'll understand what competition really looks like. Scientists all over the world are freely sharing information. Companies, technology companies that have been involved in helping facilitate some of this are freely sharing information. Um, nations are sharing information. Nothing like this happens, right? There are, there's a global hackathon, for example, to use 3D printing to produce medical supplies. And already you, you're seeing respirator valves being produced in Italy. There was this huge H, uh, HP to everybody, the Airbus got together. Um, they all have industrial size 3D printers. They're figuring out how to print whole respirators and ventilators at scale. Winsong, which is a Chinese company that it got famous for being able to print houses and apartment complexes, houses and like single-family homes in a day and apartment complexes over a weekend. They're now printing quarantine rooms, hospitals. Um, and the, the craziest thing is the day after there were uh, zero deaths in China, they came in and they printed at like an Amazon Go grocery store. No clerks, right? So there could be no social contagion, totally cashierless checkout, checkout in a day. They printed, a, they printed Stockton, opened a cashierless grocery store in a day, which is astounding. So uh, we're seeing really cool, amazing kind of scientific and technological and, and human cooperation emerge out of this at a level and a scale that we've not seen before. And this is not to mitigate kind of the horror, the suffering, or, you know, the, like, but it is uh, neurobiologically, by the way, um, oxytocin and endorphins, which are what you sort of get from that kind of cooperation, um, is a really good antidote to cortisol and norepinephrine, which is what you get for fear. They're stronger. They're, str they're mostly a stronger reaction and can override it. So it's a really, it's a potent and effective neurobiologically response. That's amazing. And I, and I love your examples. I hadn't heard about the uh, Harvard geneticists. Um, I've been interviewing two Native American elders. They're both scientists and engineers and Clifford Mahuti, uh, he worked in the government for 40 years. And what they've been talking about is this cooperation. And I'm curious um, you know, the humanity united as one is a beautiful idea. And I'm, I'm wondering, you've done individual peak performance. You've also done research on group flow. And I'm wondering what you 
could see as a beautiful possibility coming out of this from your research in flow and group flow and, and like, what if the whole planet, I like to use the example of team earth. What if team China, team Russia, team Canada, USA did continue to share and we worked on these other issues that we face as a civilization and really use it as an opportunity to do something special. It's a great question. And I, you know, in a sense, um, <coughs> I, Peter Diamandis, who I co-wrote a bold and abundance with, and I sort of answered this question in in both uh, a little bit in abundance and really in bold, um, I think. And I'll give you that answer in a second for your listeners. For anybody who doesn't know, when when we're talking about flow, we're talking about an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. It's those moments of kind of rapt attention. We're so focused on the task at hand that everything else vanishes. And all aspects of performance go through the roof. Being in the zone, runner's high, those are all synonyms for flow. We can go into more detail later. So that's what we're talking about flow-wise. And the important thing to know is when we talk about flow as optimal performance, it's a huge optimization. And we can talk about the science behind this and all the studies this, these numbers come from. But for example, motivation, productivity can spike up to 500%. Innovation, creativity depending on whose numbers you're looking at, 400 to 700%. Massive spikes in meaning, purpose, well-being, accelerated learning rates, cooperation, collaboration, as you mentioned. There's a group flow side of this. There's team flow, right? Fourth quarter comeback in football. That's usually team flow. There's interpersonal flow, me and you getting so lost in a conversation that we don't notice time passing, right? And then there's communitas, which is group flow at, at a huge scale. Like you go to a rock concert and get, you know, merged with the audience and become kind of one with the band and the music, right? So group flow can exist on a lot of different scales. Um, so that's what we're talking about. And the answer to your question, and we said this, so Abundance was a book about small teams and individuals who are harnessing accelerating technology, 3D printing like we were just talking about, or AI, robotics, nanotechnology, biotechnology, et cetera, to go after grand global challenges, the exact thing you're talking about, climate change, poverty, healthcare shortages, education problems, those sorts of things. And what was relevant is that 10, 20 years ago, those kinds of challenges, the only people who ever went for them were big governments and large corporations. So what we noticed in abundance is, holy crap, individuals can now use technology to go after, and in certain cases, really solve these problems. Um, the spread of the rapid, massive spread of solar is, is, is a great example um, that was totally bottom up, done by the people, not really much promoted by the government, um, et cetera. Um, so in bold, we, uh, we extended that because so many people were interested in this possibility. And we sort of said, look, we're not making a techno-utopian argument. We don't think technology alone solves the world's problems. That's ridiculous. What we do think is that we have the technology uh, to solve these problems. And we're seeing this with COVID-19 in a really clear way. This is the very first time an exponential problem that's what a virus is, right? It grows exponentially, is being met with exponential solutions. That's never happened before in history. Um, and what's interesting about exponential solutions, in just the same way that the virus doubles and gets big very fast, same thing with exponential technologies. So it's a little, we're, I like our chances is what I'm saying, but what we said in abundance and bold and then in the future is faster than you think is, look, if we're gonna tackle these challenges, it's not just the technology, it's everybody on the planet working to at a level of cooperation we've never seen before and in peaks accelerated states like flow to get the job done and the main reason is whether it's COVID-19 climate change species die-off or any other number of challenges that I can list we're kind of in a race against time and Peter's point my point has always been it's kind of abundance or bust either we get our shit together and do this or something is going to kind of solve the problem for us. Um, Mother Nature has a way of dealing with overpopulation and things along those lines as we're living through right now. Amazing, beautiful answer. And I know um, one of your passions and watching you speak is your, you know, your ranch with your chihuahuas, which I think is, is amazing. I would love to visit it one day. And it's just one way to tackle a, a problem. And in, in, 
interviewing the elders, they used to say about, they remember a time where technology and spirituality were one. And so it seems like as a species, we've moved forward and we've had these great technological breakthroughs, but we didn't look at the impact they were making. We weren't being mindful of the planet. We weren't being mindful of other forms of life. We were just kind of growing at an accelerated rate. And now we can kind of take a step back and look at things from a broader perspective. And so in doing one of your courses, I really loved when you put it as one of the assignments and saying, hey, write down 10 to 15 challenges you see in the world you would love solved. And even to just start thinking about these things is a massive thing. And then showing people that there's an opportunity if we work together to make these changes. And I think that's a lot of what your work does. It says, hey, these problems are not so big anymore that they're impossible, that we need to give it to some sort of institution or corporate or corporation to solve it for us, that we as a collective have the power to make massive global change here. And I think that that idea in itself is so important. And I'm curious, uh, it's kind of like the same question, but have you seen any examples of this um, where people are making really great steps forward in, in promoting things like uh, peace or, or climate change or environmental or even just group collaborations? Oh, yeah, I mean, all over the place. Uh, and so I, uh, I uh, help out another company called Planet Home where we bring together the huge advanced technologists and environmentalists and business leaders and government leaders to really get all the stakeholders and surround the problem. And, you know, we, that we feature where there's a village where we feature a hundred companies that are, you know, all doing kind of world changing stuff. And, you know, this, these range from, you know, my, some of the favorite, my favorite stuff. So my buddy, Lauren Fletcher, founded a company called Biocarbon Engineering. It's tree planting drones. If you're an awesome tree planter, you can go out and plant 2,000 trees a day. That's about what you can do. Now, as a whole, the world loses about 15 billion trees a year. So um, it's a massive amount. So reforestation scale is one of the only possible ways we can actually, first of all, fight, fight, fight climate change and species die off. This tree planting drone fires seed pod missiles into the ground, right? And inside a little genetless substance is a seed pod, right? So the cushion the thing, and it's a growth medium. And um, in, uh, so they're doing this already. They're, they're rebuilding uh, Australia after the fires and Ir uh, the Irrawaddy River Delta, um, which is a kind of a world heritage site that's been completely denuded and destroyed and uh, in Miramar and uh, a single drone, a single operator can fly six drones at once, four to six at once. A single drone can plant a hundred thousand trees a day. So that is an exponential solution to a colossal problem. It's astounding. And, um, He's, they, he's not the only thing. And the same technology, by the way, can be used for soil remediation. And for those people who are, you know, kind of smart science-based listeners, um, seed germination rates and regrowth rates are uh, better than from hand-planted seeds. This doesn't mean humans are out of the equation, by the way. Once those trees start to, you still got to tend them the way you would tend any other forest rate, right? Um, there's still a lot of work to be done. This is not one-stop shopping, um, but it's actually producing a really cool uh, kind of collaboration between native peoples and technology, right? Where they're using technology to map the area and precisely fire in these missiles and start the growth. And the people who have a lot of tree wisdom, you know, they've been, you know, caring for forests for a really long time are started taking over some of the caretaking responsibilities afterwards. So it's, we're seeing really neat collaborations on that front as well. That's just one example. Um, uh, another one is a, a buddy of mine who has a company called New Story. New Story 3D prints, forget about 3D printing homes, they print whole communities, 100 foot interlinked communities for the poor where the homes are either given away or sold um, at cost over at lifetime payment plans with zero interest run, you know, on the blockchain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they've already, they opened their, uh, they built their first one. They could build an entire village in three months. 
<coughs> and the first one was built outside of Mexico City uh, this year. Wow. What's the name so, of the company? New Story. That's amazing. N-E-W-S-T-O-R-Y. Yeah, really. I mean, there, so there's a lot of this stuff happening. And, um, and I'm seeing it. You know, I'm also seeing really cool stuff. I've got a, another friend of mine, Steph Blaustein, who used to run Voice and Exit in, in Austin, right? Seth is now putting together a global microfinance company where essentially you can donate, everybody on the planet can donate a dollar and he wants to directly fund these kinds of mega environmental projects. And that's the real, like that's really the issue. Like we have the technology. It's getting, it's funding it, finding ways to do it at uh, at kind of a global scale or a nationwide scale. another example, Ramez Nam, who's the head of energy at Singularity University, and, and uh, says that with existing renewables in the U.S., if we could link them in a nationwide grid, we could, could meet 80% of our energy needs right now. So it's not just the technology, it's the ability to work together across, at scales that we're not quite used to doing this, um, which is why we need you know, great systems thinkers at this point, too. Wow, those are those are really amazing examples. And so I guess I'm curious with you because you, you've done presentations for Google and and you know really massive corporations, and and looking at culture at large, it seems like it's profit centered mostly. And if we're going to look at things on a planetary scale, let's say we're going to go to the UN, are you going to say, hey, this oil company, we got to do free energy, but you have a trillion dollar business, or are other people making you know? ungodly amounts of money and saying we have this new system where it's you're not going to be necessary anymore have you seen any major challenges in getting people to cooperate and and some advice to to look at new systems kind of like uh i don't know if it was you who wrote about this or someone else's the kodak story where kodak didn't want to go to digital that was right and so that's kind of what i see about the energy it's like you know what i'm this old family money of, of just and we have so much how can i allow this new system to come in because if we're looking at peace and planetary change, these are going to, you know, require um, new ways of thinking for us to come together and leave these old problems, these uh, old systems behind for new and improved ones. So um, you are absolutely right on a lot of that. Uh, I, but my, so where I, where I pause a little bit is um, I have always argued that business has to be a force for good. Um, I don't, you know, I agree with Winston Churchill when, when, when he talked about, you know, capitalism, democracy as, um, you know, the worst form of government except for all the others, um, right? Like, it's a, I don't, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's a weird, there's, there's something amazing about the system because it allows so many people to bootstrap their way up. And there's something awful about this system because it seems to step on so many people along the way. So it's doing exactly what it was designed to do, but at a cost we're uncomfortable with. I think when it comes to the stuff you're talking about, I think um, I'm seeing business really, really change. And I, and I will say this, I mean, it's the, one of the most profound changes I've seen in my life um, is when I got out of high school, I was a punk rocker with a mohawk, um, which tells you how old I am. Um, if you went into a boardroom, for example, and tried to talk about purpose, creativity for that matter, like you would get laughed out of the room. And today, you know, I sit with CEOs of major companies all the time, and they talk about passion and purpose and social good and social justice. I mean, and it's, you know, from a historical perspective, as a, you know, as an old weird punk rocker, I'm just like, oh my god, like what the hell happened? And it, it's funny because I can, I actually have some understanding of what happened and what where that change came from, and it, you know, and it's interesting. Totally besides the point. So I'm seeing more and more people get it, and the younger generation coming up absolutely gets it. Absolutely gets it. So. Um, I think we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get massive changes in the next decade, as we pointed out. In future is faster than you think. Every industry on Earth, we go through the eleven biggest industries in the world, is going to completely change. Very little is going to stay the same over this next decade, um, and that there's tremendous opportunity. There's all kinds of new business models coming in 
uh, one example is closed loop models, right? Where we're seeing um, zero to zero manufacturing and major multinationals are doing this. Procter and Gamma, like, you know, they're closing loops because it's so much cheaper. It's better for the planet, it's cheaper. I would like to see externalities, quote unquote, right? Ecosystem services that everybody gets for free and never pays for. I'd like to find a way um, and this is controversial, right? Because environmentalists, especially those more spiritually inclined, don't want to put a price tag anywhere near nature. And totally understandable, right? Totally understand why you feel that way. But if we can do that, it's a very smart, good, green thinkers um, have worked on this, right? And, and I've been involved in, in some of that work in times of like, how do you price externalities and how do you figure out how much something really actually costs when you're also damaging the environment and you're factoring that in? Um, that I'd like to see. I'd like to see more of that. Um, a carbon tax is another example of that kind of thing. Um, I'm, interested, I'm interested in some moves in that direction to take care of some of that stuff. But I'm really interested in, in, you know, Peter likes to say, if you can come up with a technology that's 10x greater than anything that's existing, this argument goes away, right? It just goes away. You can't, and that's essentially what's happening, right? With solar and wind, it's cheaper to build solar and wind than it is to produce coal. It's, all, it's cheaper in many parts of the world than natural gas, okay? That's a that's a that's the end of the argument. Once the battery technology is sort of kept to scale over the next couple of years, we have all the mechanisms we need. Hostile takeover. I'd rather do it with the oil companies and with you know what I mean. I'd rather um, because the disruption is so big because there's so many people with lives and jobs um, on the other side of that and. Um, when a lot of them got into the field and hadn't started those jobs, they, we didn't know any better. It's, I mean, I, you know, I've been, I've, I've been in, in a reporter covering the front of the environmental movement since the early 1990s. And it's, you know, it's shocking. The guy who broke the global warming story, he was a Boston Globe reporter, had literally had to write the same story almost twice a week for a decade until anybody paid attention. Mm. So to go from there to oh my God, we're all having this conversation. That's, um, I'm really, I'm excited by the progress. I still think we're in a race against time. And if we don't figure it out, yeah, we're all going to die. <laughs> but, uh, you know. The optimist part of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm really not, I'm not, I'm a total optimist. I think we can get it done. But like, you know, if ecos, if, if the bio, Stanford, researchers at Stanford, who I totally respect, have basically done calculations on how long until we pass the tipping point in ecosystem services, all the stuff the planet does for free for us, pollination services, production, disease prevention, one example, right? When you raise down forests and humans and animals come together, you get COVID-19. That's exactly right. This is an environmental problem is essentially what we're facing. Um, my wife likes to say this happens because you shouldn't be mean to animals. And she's <laughs> not entirely wrong, right, um, about this. So. Anyways, that's a lot on technology and that stuff, but you'd be passionate about it, as you can tell. Yeah, they're, they're really great points. And, and it's really, I didn't know you had the, the background in the environmental part. And so I think hmm, there's a lot of different ways we can go about this, but I'd love to pick your brain specifically because of that background. If we're moving toward, you know, if we're going to consider the environment, we're considering these things we're facing as a society, are there... Anything that you've learned, because we're, we're using the government right now and big corporations to implement changes. Is there any advice that you'd have for big corporations or governments to be able to work together more synergistically, whether within the same system or within systems of other countries? So here's how I look at it, okay? Like, let me give you a simple example. My big dog in this fight, pardon the expression, is, uh, is biodiversity. I, uh, I, I always fight for the underdog and plants, animals, and ecosystems are the ultimate underdog. I'm, an, I'm a longtime animal geek, right? That's why my wife and I run a, an animal sanctuary um, 
And, um, and I have been involved in this, in this work as a reporter. I've done some field biology work, so I've done a little bit as a scientist, um, researcher, um, and I've worked on, you know, and when we ran Rancho de Chihuahua, we, we've, we've shifted our focus a little bit, but just so people understand, Rancho de Chihuahua was a hospice care and special needs uh, dog sanctuary that was established in the poorest county in America with the highest instance of animal cruelty. So my wife and I uh, and our very small staff put ourselves on the very front lines for 12 years. And we recently moved um, and shut down. We were still doing the hospice care sanctuary part. The rescue stuff we've shut down mostly because we want to figure out how to do it at a bigger scale at a national level. And we moved out of New Mexico because uh, the infrastructure there is so broken. It's impossible to do I couldn't start, I couldn't do anything at scale there with the resources that were available. Me. I actually had to get out of the state to do it. Um, it's really hard to, you know, when you're, when you're in dire poverty, you know, living in that kind of poverty, it's really hard to affect some of the change because you can't get some of the stuff you just need to do the work you need to do. So that is shut down, but that's what I mean when I talk about being on the front lines of it. Um, and uh, animals are what I care about. And if you care about animals, what you really care about is a trend, what you have to care about is a transition from uh, into vertical farming and cultured beef. And the reason is we've known since the 60s, if you want to save animals, the very best thing you could do is, is take land away from people and give it back to plants and animals. That's just like quite simply, right? Uh, they talk about it as mega linkages. They talk about linking Yellowstone, one contiguous national park. This is known as, by the way, also the, the best still, the remaining best solution to prepare for global warming, to preserve species. And it's not even a weird idea. The Defense Department has been building migration corridors and mini mega languages since the 1990s because they discovered it was easier, like if they need to bomb an area, right, and there's a spotted owl there that they can't bomb without pissing off the environment. They can go to war with the environmental front, or they could literally just massively extend the spotted owl's territory so it's no longer a problem if they bomb this part. And that's what they started doing back in the 1990s. And so this is not, nothing I'm saying is particularly controversial or very weird, right? It's, it's, it's pretty well-established science, and government's been involved in it. Individuals have been involved in it. You're seeing billionaires who are buying up huge tracts of land when Doug Tomskins went down to Chile and bought up half uh, like a, a chunk of the country it was to establish a mega link it's a giant national park for plants and animals so again lots of people cooperating on this but if we can transition to cultured beef 30 percent of our land globally is for uh herding animals right sheep cattle um cattle are basically the worst that we could do for the planet right the ratio of energy into beef out is 64 to 1 there's enough water in an adult male steer to float a u.s navy destroyer it's, right it's cattle are a problem yet yet and there's also the suffering quotient right but uh the protein's amazing and more and more people want it the solution is cultured beef let's grow steak from stem cells we know how to do this in blind test tests taste test, people can no longer tell the difference. Chefs can't tell the difference. It looks the same, it feels the same, and we're doing it. We're growing six, seven, eight different kinds of, of seafood. There's, there's projects to grow Kobe beef that are successful. Like, we're, we can do this. Scaling it up is a little tricky. Um, consumer demand is the, is the, right, is the other issue. And so people ask, what can you do? And I, well, switch to cultured beef is the, I think, like that's a simple, you know, some of the vegetarian options are interesting, but there's enough greenhouse gases in an impossible burger. There's more in an impossible burger, you know, in a vegan patty than there is in a regular hamburger right now. So some of the solutions being kind of pushed out are not quite the solutions we need. And there's other stuff like that. But I'm interested in like what happens when we reinvent agriculture in that way. Uh, and this is not to say we don't need herd animals in the Great Plains to caretake the plains. They, that's how they evolved as an ecosystem. So we need some of that as well. But those are the kinds of things I'm, I'm looking at. Does that make any sense? And that, so when I talk to corporations, I'm like, hey, what we really need to sit down is we need the CEO of Walmart to say, okay, by 2030, mm. we're going to only, uh, we're gonna own, we only want to sell cultured meat. 
what does it take to get it done? And then let, let's get it done. That's, that's how I think about these things, right? Like I want to get top environmentalists together with top business leaders, ones that the, the left doesn't like, right? I, I, I'm like, okay, I don't care. I'll talk to anybody, man. If it's going to save the planet, I'll make friends everywhere, you know? Um, and that's always sort of been my, my, my way. And I've, um, so I'll have those conversations. I've had, got no problem having those conversations. Walmart was a great idea. This guy wanted to bring cheaper goods to people who didn't have money. What's wrong with, like, I don't think anything's wrong with that. They're now the largest purveyor of organic food on the planet. All, most of the organic farmers in America who are thriving, Walmart is helping them for this, right? Like, so there's good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. And I just want to figure out a way, how do we advance this? How do we, if you're the guy who's going to be buying all the freaking beef for this country, cool. This is what has to happen. What is it going to take? What do you need for us? And let's do that. Those are the conversations I want to, I, that's the way I'd like to approach it. And that's what I was trying to do at, at Planet Home um, as well. We've been trying to have some of those conversations because I think everybody's open to them now. We all get that if we don't fix the ecosystem, we're going to die. Or at least, you know, pound or cook or bolt, right? Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Well, and I think that for me, the, most important thing I heard was just getting people to talk to each other in these uh, different interests and say, if it's for planetary good, if it's going to save the planet, let's just have the conversation and figure it out. Matt, I will tell you the whole idea for a lot of this stuff in terms of planet home. And even when I was, I know the environmentalists really well. I've worked on that set. I also know the technologists and especially the geekier technologists and the geekier environmentalists they're often talking the exact same language and there's really weird overlap. I'll give you one crazy weird ass example. This was work done at the University of Washington. So for a really long time when they would build migration quarters, you want to link two national parks together with a, a quarter of wildlife so animals can move between them. Some of the megafauna like bears and mountain lions, they have wolves, they have huge home ranges. So they need room to breathe. Those are the species that caretake the entire ecosystem below them. So you have to have those big top predators and characteristic megafauna because of how they control the entire ecosystems. And um, how did I get into this? What, did I, what was I going to give you an example of? Oh, the technologists and the environmentalists um, coming together. I, in, uh, in building migration corridors, it was a long time question, like certain animals are really weird. They don't like sharp right corners. If you build a sharp right corner, they won't go around it. Or some animals don't like curved, right? And it's the kind of thing that would like, as a, as a guy tried to like, you're like, I'm just trying to plant a forest, man. I'm trying to help you. Holy crap, whoever thought of such a thing? So for years they were trying to solve this and it turns out they realized there's a direct similarity between how electrons move through a silicon chip and how animals move through the wild. And so now these two totally out of these weird ass conversations between, you know, people have been like, oh, wow, you know, there, there's reasons to have these conversations as well. Um, so you find really weird overlap and, you know, good answers coming out of those conversations. But I just started to realize, because I was talking to people on both sides, I was like, I don't think you guys are very far apart. I actually think you want the same things. There are, certainly there are points that people disagree on. Um, there are always going to be points that people disagree on, but they didn't strike me as crazy far apart. So I've been trying to build those bridges. I think a lot of other people are as well. And I think they're getting built now, um, which is exciting. Yeah. Wow. What an incredible example. I would have never thought that. Yeah. I just try yes. to open this space for you. You, there's no curve to it. So I do not accept I'm going to stay here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know, all those are amazing examples and I want to honor your time. Uh, I'll just kind of throw another question at you. I think that planetary, what we facing is a lot of lack, you know, you spoke, you spoke about solutions in abundance, but we've got, I don't, I think the numbers two or 3 billion people live under $2 a day. I looked it up recently. We have uh, so I'd have to check that fact check, whatever that is. Um, and also we've got, uh, you know, people starving to death at incredibly high numbers. And so we've got planetary issues here. And one of those issues, when you talked about the pandemic is fear, your average American, average Canadian, a lot of them right now, especially are in fear and a lot of your work is about optimal human performance. And I think that when somebody is thriving and they're in their optimal performance, they are always serving each other. 
And I think that a lot of people don't get those opportunities or the education. And so I'm wondering if you could speak really quickly on maybe what you would uh, offer the education system or just an individual listening to this to deal a little bit with the fear and uncertainty and start to make steps towards, you know, their passions, their curiosities, their own optimization. Because I know in my work from the podcast and, and doing all this research, when somebody connects to the thing that really lights them up, always a hundred percent of the time it's of serving other people. And a really just rudimentary example is that, you know, I grew up doing martial arts, if somebody's going to fight me as an adult, there's something wrong with that individual. They're not having a good day. There's something wrong with them. But if they're really positive and uplifting and, and helpful, they, they probably got everything kind of their life on track. And I think that's what we need as a, as a humanity is to get people out of this survival mode and this fear into this more spirit of cooperation and expansion. So <clears throat> I do not disagree and science doesn't disagree with you. And I'll, uh, uh, let, me, let me explain what I mean. Uh, when we talk about fear, we're talking primarily neurobiologically about this physiology, your heart races, things like that happen. But uh, you were talking about neurochemicals and hormones, cortisol, the stress hormone, and norepinephrine. Norepinephrine is essentially, uh, it can be anxiety and it can be excitement. Vigilance when we're locked on right now, if you can't stop watching the crisis news network, excuse me, CNN, um, right? If you can't, like, if you can't, if you can't turn away um, fr from that, it's, um, it's vigilance. It's norepinephrine that's doing that. And here's the crazy thing we know. A little bit of norepinephrine is fantastic. It, it primes your brain for learning. Whenever something new or salient or important shows up, you get a little bit of norepinephrine. Too much of it and what starts to happen is the brain massively limits creativity. It gets very logical and gets very linear. And uh, everybody knows this because we talk about the fight or flight response all the time. That's extreme fear. The brain says, oh my God, you've got a big problem. I'm going to limit your options. You can fight, you can freeze, you can flee. Those are your choices, right? Well, more just up the scale a little bit, right? If you're obsessive compulsive, um, or think your thoughts are spiraling and they feel like they're spinning. If you look at that in a uh, fMRI, um, your thoughts really are spiraling. It's a tight cluster of neurons. It's the same pattern over and over and over again. And for creativity, you need far-flung connections between different brain regions. So extreme fear, that kind of panic, literally blocks our ability to innovate our way out of these problems. Mm. So you have to, that's why I always say, Positive psychology, they talk about what you could call the peak performance basics. And these are sort of six things that you sort of like the research is overwhelmingly clear that you have to sort of do these six things um, before you can really start approaching peak performance at any significant level. Um, three of them are just physiological about maintaining energy levels. So sleep, hydration, nutrition, and social support which is so foundational, like we need other people, right? Um, that if you, if you can't do those things, your, your ability to tap into your energy stores isn't there. And then there's three psychological stuff. This is gonna be news to you. It's gratitude practices, mindfulness practices, and exercise. All three of those things are the best things you can do to manage your nervous system. And you have to do that. And, you know, normally, I, what I always say with like sleep, hydration, nutrition, and social support, Normally, I tell uh, people we work with, and whether this is like Navy SEALs or CEOs of the general public, you can fuck up on one of those a day. Under normal conditions, maybe you didn't get enough sleep, but if you're on top of your hydration, nutrition, and there's a good network of people around you kind of feeding you love a little bit, you got it, right? Under conditions of extreme duress, what we're living through right now, you need all three every day, right? So I know we're doing social distancing. We've been talking about it at the Flow Research Collective as it's physical distancing. You don't want to be doing social distancing at this point at all. That will fuck you up, right? You want, now is the time to reach out and touch someone. Long distance. <laughs> touch them at a distance, right? But I, like even, you know, I have been forcing myself, and I think everybody I know has been doing this, to make two phone calls to people in the world. I've gotten phone calls from folks I haven't, like the guy who I was a bartender back in the early 1990s, long in my early in my writing career, my first bar back, the guy who was my bar back at Christy Turlington's jazz club, the up and down club, <laughs> called me. I'm having conversations with people I haven't, you know, and I, I think a lot of people are doing that because it's important. And then gratitude, mindfulness, and exercise. 
Um, normally I say, pick a five minute gratitude practice, do 10 to 20 minutes of mindfulness or exercise 20 to 40 minutes a day. Pick one and do one every day. Now I'm saying, no, 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 pick two, pick three. Make sure you got all three of the kind of energy side of the equation and maybe two or three of these a day. Because if you can do that, you can actually start to get past the fear and into the performance side of this equation. And I, the, the thing I want to kind of tell people, because um, it's important to remember this, because um, I know like there's health consequences, there's emotional consequences, and we're all up against financial consequences right now and some serious, right? And it's, you know, I don't know anybody who's been been spared any right up and down the chain. I don't know anybody <laughs> who has not gotten their ass kicked in the past month, right? Like the, the, the zeros on the end of the number may be different, but everybody's losing the zeros, right? And the thing I always say to people is at some point, this is going to end. And once it ends, if you can't digitize your business now, the, once this ends, the opportunity is going to be massive. It's, I mean, there's massive opportunity in the middle of a crisis, right? They, they always say, never, never let a good crisis go to waste. And certainly in my own companies, man, has it forced us to be flexible and adaptive. And I will tell you flat out, I have learned this over the past three weeks. There have been like six or seven things for the past two years. I have been saying no to my staff about it. I'm like, no, no, that we're not doing that. Here's my A, B, C, D, E, no, bad idea, uh, no. And had all my reasons. What I learned the past two weeks is the number one thing standing in the way of me and my business and success has been me. <laughs> <laughs> I got out of the way and whoa. So like I, even I have surprised myself, right? Like I've been surprised by it. But what I, the, reason, the point I'm making is there's opportunity now. There's going to be massive opportunity later. And do you know what the perfect recipe for executive, what they call executive burnout is? Chronic norepinephrine and cortisol and high stress levels. And so if you come through this thing massively revved hot the entire time, if you're not doing these six kind of peak performance basics, then it comes time to go back to work, to get back to our lives, to rebuild on the other side of this, you're going to be totally burnt out and destroyed and unable to do that. So like you're going to get your life ass kicked now, and then you're going to get your ass kicked then. I personally, like, there's not much I can do about the now, right? It's an ass kicking. Okay, bring it, right? Like, whatever. You call this a storm. That's my attitude in, in situations like this. But I'm certainly, like, we've been, you know, we've been doing, uh, and I can give you links to this, but we keep been doing these 90-minute free live events on peak performance at a time of pandemics with all kinds of top scientists and thinkers and Navy SEALs and, and whatnot. Every we can bring to bear on this. Um, and free and whatnot. I'll, I'll give you the links for them just so that people don't burn out now and can come out the other side dangerous, right? You could, it's, there is no better, we know this, this is kind of psychology 101 for um, a lot of neurobiological reasons. Crises are great for habit formation. So there's not a better time to lay in some new, you're stuck at home and you know, people are like, this is not the time for new habits. I'm freaked out. The kids are in my face. No, this is a great time. You know this as a, as a guy who's trained martial arts, right? If you only learn to fight under perfect, pristine conditions, you're never going to win, in, whether it's in the octagon or the real world, because in those cases, those conditions are not, right? They're not perfect conditions. You have to train. It's like, you know, the Navy SEALs always say, you know, train how you fight, fight how you train. Um, so if you train in the middle of crisis and chaos, um, you are going to train yourself to perform, right? It's a great time to train up your game and habit formation is accelerated in times of crisis. Um, thanks to, by the way, all that norepinephrine in our system. It, it helps things go from short-term memory and storage. So you can actually use all that fear, turn it into focus, and use it to prime memory. So it's a great time to start training up your game um, even though it seems like the circumstances are really adverse.
Amazing. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, and so many times you, you talk to people and it was the challenge that gave them the transformation. It was this catalyst and we're all facing a catalyst in one way. And I like how you said, nobody's gotten out of this. You know, somebody's getting kicked in some capacity. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate all this. I think it's so helpful and a really empowering perspective. And can you just let people know where they can find more about you? You have amazing courses on your website. Um, I Thank you and honor you yeah, for that, doing those calls um, with those amazing people to give people perspective. So where people can find those would be. Great. Yeah. A couple, a couple of resources for anybody listening um, that uh, if you go to uh, zero to dangerous.com is uh, my standard. It's, that's our main peak performance training, but uh, anybody who wants to can just sign up and register for a free peak performance consult with somebody on my team if you go to flowresearchcollective.com forward slash flow blocker, there's a free diagnostic there. It'll look over your life and say, hey, this is the thing that's standing between you and more flow. So those are resources. If you want to know more about me or stuff on the science and technology side, stephencotler.com is how you find me. So flowresearchcollective.com is the company forward slash flow blocker is the, is the diagnostic. Zero to dangerous.com if you want free peak performance advice. And uh, stephencotler.com if you're not at this point sick of listening to me prattle. Amazing. And now what about those uh, conversations you're hosting? Oh, I can. Uh, why don't I send you the links? Okay, um, I'll link them up that, for people. Yeah, that's the, that's the easiest way you, because we did Crowdcast. It's the only way we could go out. You have to, unfortunately, I wish I could just give you a link. We, you have to register to, uh, to view them. And I apologize. I don't like, I, everybody, my brother runs teams at Microsoft. And the big question that everybody's trying to solve right now is how the, how do we network at scale with millions of people and everybody involved without having to jump through hoops. And I, you know, I have yet to find a solution, but I know smart people are working on it because they're in my family and I'm biased. <laughs> Right out. Well, thank you for your time. You're definitely a leader in the field doing amazing work and helping a lot of people transform. I'd love to spend 30 minutes expanding on that, but I want to honor your time so you can keep doing it. So thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, just really appreciate you and your work. Matthew, I appreciate it. I appreciate what you do. Thanks for having me. See you later, everybody. Hang tough. All right. See you guys. Peace. Peace. Hey guys, I hope that you enjoyed that episode of the show. If you do want to support getting the word out there, please share this. Leave a review in iTunes. Go to mattbailier.com. Sign up for the email list. You can also become a patron if you go to patreon.com forward slash mattbailier or join the Mastermind Body and Spirit Academy. And when you do, you'll get access to the amazing Soul Compass course. I would love to have you there getting your feedback your questions and just making the academy the exclusive content the course even better with your feedback and during this time we're doing a pay as you want so just hit me up matt belair or matt at zenathlete.com or dm me on instagram or anywhere and let me know what you can afford um, and happy to get that course and have you in the academy and it also supports the show so i can keep doing these and uh, bringing you the best guests and information possible so thank you so much for listening to this i hope that you are well safe and happy and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.